0: Here we go. Here we go again. We gotta get a going! Hello and welcome once again. This is I Don't Get It, the Pop Culture Get Off My Lawn Cast. This is an exploit, an audio exploit, featuring the open-minded <laughs> musings of two mid-40s curmudgeons. Steadily, now we are definitely mid-40s curmudgeons. Staring them yes. Staring at the prospect of entertainment relevance. I am your co-host, Mr. Bill Scurry of American Caesar Enterprises, which is a kindly old watch repairman uh, without an apprentice, by the way, the last of his generation. So that's it for that trade. And I am joined, as always, by this man. Watch repairman's a little more current. You did you did shoemaker a couple uh, months, back. a couple weeks ago. Yeah. yeah.
1: Watch repairman seems a little more modern than shoemaker. Yeah. Uh, I I make neither shoes nor do i repair watches you, uh my name you, is
0: Noah. No, you a, are you a chandler is that what you are oh uh oh candle maker yes a cartwright perhaps
1: cartwright yes wheelwright yeah it's okay. funny to think of those so do you know what a turner was do you know what turner
0: means ah uh, no i do not
1: turner was a wood a wood craftsman
0: you would turn it on a lathe. Oh, to make and, like a, an art, like a a, ba- a right. banister or something like that.
1: Right. So, so someone named Turner is descended from you know someone who made, uh, you know, wood products. Yes. Uh, Clark was just mm-hmm. a clerk. Yes, which I that's find interesting. True. Somehow that changed. And I read this one. This is interesting. Hayes. You know what Hayes was?
0: Uh, no. What was Hayes? Hayes was someone who
1: trimmed hedges. Uh, okay. Okay. I don't know how I learned. I know how I learned this shit, but I don't know why I remember this stuff.
0: So. You know, they had a word for a person who used a soy. That was a sawyer. A sawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? What does sawyer mean? It's someone I who saws, know. it's a person who who actually oh, a
1: saw. You said soy. Yes,
0: I because see. it's pronounced sawyer. It's not a sawyer. Right. It was
1: someone who made soy. Soy yes, meat products. Right, basically. They, they boil yeah. down
0: uh, be, uh, uh, yeah. bean curd into yes. a, a different yes. consistency.
1: Yes, everyone named Sawyer is descended from an employee of the Morningstar Farms Frozen Food Corporation. In the
0: last thirty thirty five years, pretty much. <laughs> yes, pretty yeah.
1: much. Most people don't know that, but Sawyer is a uh, Nick is a last name that it's only thirty five years old. Yeah, it's you're hard, um, to believe, the, hard to believe. This is the this uh, is the occupational last name derivatives podcast, <laughs> and I am your. <laughs> I am. I am your co Your other co host. My name is Noah Tarno, um, the founder and founder, found founder, one founder. Who f- one who founds is a founder. One who founds, yes, founder. Yes. Did foundias? Yeah, I'm the founder and senior quiz master of the big quiz thing, trivia game show spectacular. And someday, Bill, my descendants, 200 years from now, their last name will be Quizmaster, Right. That's true. And yeah. there will be it'll be a trivia thing like, oh, do you know what you know? Eddie Quizmaster's great great grandfather did for a living. Mm-hmm. He, he asked stupid trivia questions Does to he? Doesn't
0: Quizmaster um, sound like it could be like a Serbo-Croatian or, or Polish or something already? You know? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. Serbo-Croatian, Quizmaster.
0: Perhaps, perhaps Slavic. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, riding, riding the line in the Carpathian Mountains right. or something, right?
1: Right. Some, someone from the Slav-associated regions of... of the European continent,
0: yeah, so, possibly. So, welcome back to Slav-derived workplace uh, app, app, the Appalachian. We're not letting podcast. go. We're not yeah. letting go. We're not we letting have. Go.
1: Well, but it's funny because the song we played at the beginning, of course, was Stevie Wonder, and yeah. uh, shock of, of shocks, Wonder is not his legal, never was last name. But, what? Um, his his yeah. His great great grandfather was one who wanted. Um, <laughs> actually, the sad truth is wouldn't what stevie wonders real last name uh morris yeah would would not would not be his great-great-grandfather would be the person who owned his great-great-grandfather but we we will we will get into some african-american history political history today uh there will be some white splaining in this episode fair warning uh Bill, what is our topic?
0: We are talking about a film, a documentary uh, that just dropped very recently. Uh, it's a product of 2021 called The Summer of Soul. I'll give the full title. Um, full title. Pe- yeah, people are just calling it The Summer of Soul, which is fine. But the, the proper title is The Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. Uh, copyright 2021, the Hulu <laughs> Corporation, uh, uh, Springfield, Illinois, Marca registrada. yes. So this yes, is-
1: you are incorrect, Bill. It is not called the Summer of Soul or when the revolution cannot be televised. It's called just Summer of Soul. Oh, There's get rid no of the ar-
0: the definite article does not belong. Get no business. The, get it yes, out of Get yes. it out of there. Get it okay. out. If
1: you're going to read the copyright notice, get it right.
0: All right. So this is a Hulu original doc directed by uh, Mr. Abner Questlove. What's his last name? Uh, Thompson. 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 Yeah. Uh, yes. uh, son,
1: the- son of, son of one who it.
0: A Tom. A tump. Yes, a tump. Yeah. Uh, yes. Not oh. not a bottom, a tump. You, you all know bottom. You all know Questlove, yeah. of course, is uh, the uh, I don't know. I guess nominal band leader of the Roots. He he for the, uh, the the James Fallon uh, brand talk show product, on uh, the uh, Nabisco Broadcasting Company uh, at the moment. Right now, he's been there for a while. So this documentary is a recapitulation of a multi-week. Harlem Cultural Festival. I mean, I should say it was the multi week Harlem Cultural Festival, which took place at what is now called Marcus Garvey Park. I believe then it was called Morris. Park uh, in 1969. Yes. I don't know when they renamed it to Marcus Garvey. I have uh, to be honest. In
1: in the early 70s, I looked it up. Because at first, I'm like, what the hell is Mount Morris Park? I've never heard of that, having lived in New York for 18 years. And not, not very and then, far and then, from And then it I looked anyway. up like, like, oh, it's Marcus Garvey Park. Okay, yeah, they just
0: right. renamed it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that, that took place in 1969. Uh, it was concurrent, generally with Woodstock. Not the same weekends, I don't think. but I think it th- was over by the time
1: Woodstock weekend happened. I yeah. think it's last weekend was... Probably the weekend right before Woodstock.
0: Right, so you know that's a lot of cultural uh, traffic jams going on. Uh, right, you know, big summer, nineteen sixty nine. It was. If you guys never heard of nineteen sixty nine, look it up. Go to the Wikipedia. It was a. It was a big number, big formative year. I don't have all the time to go into it right now. Uh, so yes. Yeah, so uh, uh, the thing is, is that this festival. The reason why we're talking about it. Uh, I, I mean, obviously Woodstock. Got all the headlines as you know well it probably deserved in 1969 because of the cultural epicenter of a lot of things, mm. but here you had something that people Re- read like. read read naval gazing white baby boomers. I yes. mean, yeah, I, they not love that necessarily
1: shit. A documentary, but if you read commentary about it, there's this kind of thing like you know does it really make sense that Woods? Also, I read something interesting that most people aren't aware that at the time most of the coverage of Woodstock was pretty negative. They're like, look at these crazy hippies. And it was really just in the hagiography hey later, partly due to the, the concert film, where Woodstock became—I mean, everyone knew it was big, where it became this positive thing, this yeah. positive cultural touch. Well, that was—because so.
0: it was happening. There was a thunderhead from the cultural class as it was happening. But right. as the dust right. settles, it looks as, you know, the, the thick-rimmed, um, you know, the, the wasp meanies from the 50s lost that fight, uh, other than the right. fact that they, they're winning the fight now in America. But the, with, about <laughs> Woodstock— that, they, that
1: These are different people than those. These yeah. are different people from those
0: people. So th- this is a— take back those people
1: in exchange for the right. people
0: now in a fucking harp You're they at right. least
1: had well I, I was going to say they had manners, but in too many cases, they didn't. And that's the problem. No. This was a defined manners.
0: This festival was a, a largely unknown as a phenomenon, considering, I mean, if you watch this movie, which is, is right now it's on Hulu, I think in a couple weeks, uh, in somewhere in August, I think it's actually going to go to Disney Plus, which, of course, Hulu and Disney Plus, all part of the same corporate family eventually. So there, there's a way for you to watch this movie if you're looking for it. You don't have to wait very long. Um, but when you do watch this movie, it is two hours of footage. Of just about everybody who was anybody in a lot of different uh, annals of music and so you can see that that between Woodstock and this they covered a lot of bases all in New York yeah. but for, yeah. for the amount of the amount of star power that was heaped on this thing no one really heard about it it was it took place it was a legend amongst the people who saw it people uh performed there but then whatever happened to the footage is anybody's guess or why I should say the footage went underground
1: yeah I think people knew it was in the basement of the guy who told in charge of film yeah it yeah and they filmed a shit ton 40 hours and i don't know much i don't know much about film restoration but it looked great it It did look great really
0: good i thought it was video it looked like it was actually video and not film but i could i could be wrong but uh, yeah so there were 40 hours of footage were in the can uh recorded by this producer named tulchin i believe his name was howard tulchin um and and he had gotten sponsorship from the coffee company maxwell house and then for some reason, he couldn't pull the trigger on closing the deal. Um, no one wanted to some buy. some reason, re- read racism. Yeah, of course. Read racism, exactly. But yeah. you know, you'd think that somebody would have bit on something. But they he couldn't find a home for it. So this footage sat in his basement for like 112 years. Um, <laughs> And then I don't know what the connection is between this one, this lawyer named uh, Robert Fiolent, I believe you'd pronounce it, F-Y-V-O-L-E-N-T, who essentially has just been, has a career of being um, counsel to film productions. He's made a few things as a producer, but he was the one who apparently got into negotiations to buy the footage from this guy, Tulchin, who I think died in 2017. Um, They did hours and hours of interviews with him just to make sure that they had it all together. Uh, Because this guy, Fivalent, saw the value of making something today, something that, you know, out of of the material that was shot in 1969, but it spoke to the audience of 2021. But he realized, the producer realized that he was just the guy who was going to enable to be happening, uh, to happen rather, and then he needed somebody to come and close the deal. He needed a director and he sold it to Questlove as saying look you're not just a musician not just a sort of pop talent who's got who can get some heat on this but you're also kind of a music nerd you understand yeah. the heritage you understand the stakes you're a historian he
1: he he is this is his first film but he's also a polymath he's taught college yeah. level classes he's yeah. written a few books i mean and he's been, been in films you want to feel like a, the the feel like a loser look at look at Questlove's
0: uh CV. Yeah, so you know Questlove talked about the daunting task of screening all the footage and then kind of that screaming wonder of like I needed to see this my whole life and where was it. He has he has some really great interviews where he just talked about setting up all these monitors during pandemic and he would just watch for hours and hours and hours scrutinizing who was in each frame, listening to the songs. And he just was filled with this wonder of like, I can't believe this incredible phenomenon. This asset was just in a basement because of racism. And, you know, then skip ahead to 2021. He makes the movie, uh, Hulu buys it. It shows at Sundance in January of this year. It got the documentary Grand Jury Prize. Did really well. All the reviews for this are off the charts. I mean, honestly, I think you'd have to be the world's biggest jerk to, to watch this and somehow not be touched. In some way, even if it's just as a concert movie, which this is not just a concert movie. This is a no, this is a dialogue. This is a deconstruction. It's
1: it's a very. I'll get into it, but it. Look, I don't know enough about documentaries or concert movies to say this definitively, but it seemed like a new thing to me. This weird hybrid
0: of concert, movie, and documentary. Yeah. Anyway, tell me, what did, what did you think of it? Because you're the one that brought it, uh, by the way. This is your idea. Yeah, I just,
1: I heard people talking about it, and I was curious about it myself as a student of music history, and I had never heard of this, also as a longtime New Yorker. I'm like, why did I not know about this? And people are calling it the Black Woodstock, right? That's sort of been its nickname among those who remember it, the sure. Black Woodstock. Even though it happened before. Yeah, but it was that summer. And yeah, I know. And trivia fact, only act to play both the Harlem Cultural Festival and Woodstock Sly and the Family Stone, only act to play both. Um, well, I agree with you. It's it's hard not to feel something from this movie. Uh, and, you know, just to, just to name check some of the, the acts, the the big name acts that were there. Stevie Wonder, I think you you mentioned, uh, Sly and the Family Stone. B.B. Uh, King, The Fifth Dimension, The Staple Singers. Uh, Mahalia Jackson, in case you don't know, absolute fucking gospel legend. Um uh, uh, David Ruff... Nina Simone, David Ruffin, who had just left The Temptations, but one of their two lead singers. Um, who am I forgetting, Bill? Who are the big, big names who were there that we saw footage from?
0: Uh, Jesus, there were so many. It's kind of a blur, I honestly. I, it just well, I, think, I, it. I think I got the big ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. We, 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 apparently, they oh, turned down... Ray, Ray Barretto, and, who was a, a product of the neighborhood. Ray and, yeah. and Mo- Mongo Santa Maria. Um, you know, a lot of these are names that I'm not that familiar with, but I know are important, right? But then, you know, they... Look, uh, one good thing. He started off with – at the beginning, I'm like, oh, I've never heard of this. Must be some obscure – or like, are they really that big acts? And boom, the first act you see is Stevie. And yeah. I'm like, okay, there you go. You win. And Stevie Wonder, only 19 at the time, by the way. Um, You know, my God. Uh, Anyway, um, yeah, it's hard not to feel something. It's a good movie. It's powerful. It's well done. Uh, Look, being honest, this is not my type of music. I mourn to rock and roll. Uh, but you know, I appreciate it when it's done well. That's for sure. I mean, I'm not a big Stevie Wonder fan, but I recognize how fucking good that guy is. And I mean, even now, if I have the a chance to see him in concert, I'm not going to say no. Uh, and there are specific scenes that are really arresting. Uh, I think the one that that in reviews is getting the most play is a performance by Mahalia Jackson, who was. Possibly the greatest gospel singer of the 20th century. And she, I looked her up. She was on her last leg. She was very ill. She would die a couple of years later. And she just gives this performance with Mavis Staples that is fucking insane in its power. And also, they give the context of it was apparently the song she was singing was Martin Luther King's favorite song. And Thompson intercuts it with, you know, footage from King's final moments and him lying on the ground, dead, bloody, dying, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, you know, not to lead with that, but he spends a lot of time looking at the audience. You see all different kinds of people. I mean, almost entirely black, but you see every conceivable, really interesting looking characters, just people you'll see on the streets of New York all together, but almost exclusively they're having a good time. And I read a quote from Thompson where he said, This movie is largely about black joy. And he's like, And I think there needs to be more of that. We need to see black joy you know the idea of this movie is to is to is to correct the black erasure you know these things from these african-american aspects of american history that get pushed aside for the white aspects and we don't it's not just bringing up oh the civil rights leaders who died tragically i mean that's important too but also black joy seeing black people happy and it's especially jarring realizing that and, and they give that context 1969 was a bad fucking year in america and it was a especially a bad fucking year for black people and especially a bad year for them in New York. So it's kind of life affirming and encouraging that you see black New Yorkers in 1969 having the time of their life. Um, And as I said before, I don't know much about film restoration, but this shit looks and sounds amazing. Amazing. Uh, I like that. It kind of told these little stories that, these smaller stories from black 60s history that I feel like I haven't hoped before, and they were interesting. Uh, you know, one of these concerts, it was it was six Sundays over the summer, and one of them was the day after Armstrong and Aldrin and Collins landed on the moon. So you see people on stage referring to that. And then they intercut it with news footage where they're interviewing black people on the streets of Harlem. What do you think of the mo- They They show clips from white people going, this is awesome, the world came together. And the black people are like, you know, why don't you spend this money on... Uh, Poor people, poor black people, poor all kinds of people. Uh, So this little story of like, how did lower income African-Americans feel about the moon landing, right? Um, This, a little bit of the story of gospel, Uh, you know, Maxwell House is a sponsor. They showed this clip from this really interesting TV commercial for Maxwell House, clearly aimed at the African-American market. They're talking, you know, the voiceover is clearly a black man talking about how the beans come from Kenya, I mean, really playing into, like, Maxwell House, the coffee from Africa. So, like, I mean, assuming this ad ran in the United States, I'm guessing it did. and Maybe it was pitched at English-speaking African countries. But assuming it ran in the United States, it was very clear, like, an executive said, hey, let's make an ad for the black market. Yeah, right? sure. Which, you know, good idea. Black people like coffee. Everyone likes coffee. Um, this moment with um they interview this journalist, I'm sorry I forget her name, who was at the festival And just about the the black consciousness of the time, she was working for the New York Times and how she was the impetus to get the Times copy desk to change its preferred term of describing African-Americans as Negroes, which was the polite term for much of the 60s, and changing it to black, how black became the polite term. And basically how she went to the editor and said, this needs to be changed. And that's... Interesting, especially for me as someone who used to be a copy chief at a magazine, and I had to make decisions like that with some regularity, right? Uh, And it does a good job. It's powerful in condensing just the general story of black America in the late 60s. I also like that Thompson, you could see that he's a musician. Like I said, I think this is kind of unique in its kind of hybriding of – Concert film and documentary and it almost strikes me as impressionistic. There's a musicality to the way it's cut. You see the performances pretty much entire songs but you know you see the footage but then it drifts into the background as they show clips of other things or hear other people talking. There's a really interesting editing technique at the beginning that I love just sort of giving some context. It says, you know, all the people who died, all the, the leaders, all the people we looked up to, all the people who we put our hopes in, who died in the 60s. JFK died. and You see a clip of Malcolm X talking about JFK dying. Malcolm died. Then you see a clip of Martin Luther King talking about Malcolm died. Um, Martin Luther King died. Then you see a clip of Bobby Kennedy talking about Martin Luther King dying. Then Bobby Kennedy died. You know, it's just chaining it like that. yeah yeah uh, I and and the music is just a constant background throb in this movie. I thought it was unique. Again, I haven't seen enough concert docs to really say this is an entirely unique thing, but it felt fresh and different and original to me. but but I will say this. I wanted more. I thought and maybe this is the impressionistic aspect, it was too focused on context and not enough details. There are a lot of details about this festival that I wanted to know. I was so, you know, if I watch a documentary or a movie or listen to a podcast that talks about something in history, when it's done, I always go to the Wikipedia page and read a few articles because I want extra, extra details. And I almost couldn't help myself to go to the Wikipedia page before I'd finished the movie because I wanted facts that this movie was not giving me. They never explicitly tell you it was six Sundays in, in July. At the very end, they talk about why it was lost, but I thought they gave short shrift to that. I think there needed to be more. They don't tell you that, oh, it's lost, completely forgotten. Well, look into it. It wasn't completely forgotten. It aired on TV when it happened. They did a 50th anniversary concert two years ago. you know, there are a lot of festivals in the 60s, and a lot of them have been forgotten. And yes, this was probably more likely to be forgotten. The The guy who wouldn't make a movie out of it in 1969, yes, racism played a part there. Absolutely. But I just, I wanted more details. And, and it didn't give me that. I also found it a little out of balance. You know, I like those little stories, the moon, the Maxwell House commercial, New York Times accepting black as its preferred term. But... Then we see, you know, the the death of Martin Luther King, which as important a story as it is, we've all heard that a thousand times before. So it just felt like a little all over the place to me. All these things are interesting. All these things are important. But I think in terms of a historical document, well, not a story, telling me a story, giving me the historical facts, I I felt it was a little disjointed. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but in my opinion... I guess I just like a little more cohesion in my documentaries. So that's a nitpick. This is a very good movie, powerful movie, musically entertaining movie. So thumbs up for me.
0: I had no such issues with it. I think you do a great job of describing everything you're going to find in it. I can't really um, put that together any better. I think the form for me was extremely successful in terms of, like you say, each and they show you most of the acts, you know, condensed. It almost looks like it's one day of the festival, the way they cut it, even though it was six successive weekends and clothes change and weather changes. But the way it's cut, the energy doesn't change. It seems like it's got one mm. one breakneck pace throughout the whole thing. And I really love the way it used each song to go into a different aspect um, of what to talk about in terms of, like you said, yeah. either it's the form of the music or the social thing of what's going on or... The Bonhomie between different minorities in New York or, you know, the the fostering of Bonhomie uh, and even the footage of John Lindsay, you know, uh, uh, hugging old black people. Not what I expected. I Actually, it turns yeah. out I know very little about John Lindsay in the end. So it was interesting. L- Lindsay,
1: Lindsay, the more I read about Lindsay, the more I'm like that guy got a – that guy was pretty good and he just – his political skills weren't up to snuff. But he was about as good a mayor as New York has had in the last – yeah. 60,
0: 70 years. So Not I, saying a lot, but. Yeah, I, I really, I really like, you know, and, and I'll tell you, I am completely unfamiliar with, I don't listen to any of these um, musicians. I know who most of them were. Actually, I don't know who Fifth Dimension was. I don't know anything about Mahalia Jackson. I know only the most cursory things about um, Nina Simone. And so, in a way, as I was watching this, um, I, I, you know, I'm not going to go out and buy the music necessarily because it's not something I want to listen to. However, the context of it in this package, watching the festival footage, watching people do live versions of these songs, seeing the energy, you know, that that regal nature with which Nina Simone strides out, and she had that the, the way she spoke was almost artificial yeah. a little bit. You know, what I'm saying like there was yeah. a cultured air where she was very, trying very hard to sound different she, from. Tr- tr- she, she's North an Carolina. interesting
1: persona. Look, look into her a little, like. Very smart, very talented, but she was, like, apparently crazy. Like A little bit. Apparently, like, her mind was on another planet. But I didn't you know. know, sometimes, you know she, sometimes that's what you need for really transcendent art. I
0: know? didn't know she spent the 80s here. She lived in Nijmegen, and then she lived in Amsterdam, which I had no idea. Yeah, I know that yeah, she refinished up in, in south of Paris or south of France, I think. But, um, yeah, and so, uh, but, you're right, I think the showstopper is that Mahalia Jackson number uh, where oh, she, she duets with Mavis Staples, and it's like, I don't I, – I, I know what the sound uh, is supposed to be. Um, However, somehow the recording equipment Both audio and visual picked up something to a different fidelity. You know that could have easily fallen apart either in image or in the actual quality of the sound of it, and it doesn't. Um, It's amazing that they got such a great uh, restoration of it. So you to listen to the power of this live performance, like you say, one of the last ones. And she too—that's talk about a really interesting person. I honestly, I did not know a goddamn thing about her other than her name. And to see it's like, oh, she more or less uh, invented popular gospel music. She was the first person in the 40s to start like codifying this on wax. And not that people hadn't been doing it, but it became a pop art thing uh, after that. That's that's really fucking fascinating. Uh, yeah, I, I love the hell out of this. I thought this was great. Um, I, you know, for two hours, it's unusual to find a doc where my attention doesn't flag up or down. And I mentioned before we went hot on the mics. I recently saw a Rick James documentary, which is going to come to cable soon, uh, and and it's about an hour forty five on Rick James, and there's a lot to talk about there, and it's like and for as good a package as that was, it was in New York Film Fest, no. Uh, Tribeca Film Festival sorry it didn't I my attention drifted in and out because the whole thing wasn't as compelling as all of Rick James's story there are definitely some moments that strike you as huh and then there's some doldrums in the filmmaking and that's just the way it is when it's really uh, obedient and reverent of the subject and this was different like I all you have to do is just put the camera on it the camera and the editorial voice goes in and out to different aspects and it's like there's so much to set to Mm -hmm. say about what was going on in the country, what was going on in the city, what was going on socially. You know, from the, like uh, one of the things you mentioned about going from the suits, the sort of uh, back line of guys snapping at the microphone yeah. doing the suits, and then to really garish uh, kente cloth and afros, you know, unkempt afros and black is beautiful. And like this mov- this movie was like trying to show, it was on the bridge between black mm-hmm. people wearing afros. I really feel like I'm doing a poor job of whitesplaining explaining this, but I'm just saying. No,
1: it's, I, I think you're, the, the yeah. movie talks about it. Yeah, it went from an I'm, hour. He said, "You still saw some of those people with the skin suits who look like they're in the Temptations." Yeah, and then you see the guys with the frilled vests over bare chests. You know, it was black style was changing. That's you know, yeah. Compare David Ruffin and Sly and the Family Stone at the same festival. You see the two sides of it. Yeah. for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. it's
0: you know I I can't get enough of it. Honestly, there's there's so much education that somebody like me who was who was raised in the coddled white suburbs. This nobody nobody owes me an education. However. Uh, I will avail myself of something like this every time it's available because I think it's just an incredible resource. I live in Harlem I'm Madison on 135th. That festival is so close to home. It was only 10 blocks away. My three best friends and I, we can actually walk.
1: Yeah, is it a hit? Is it a hit in theaters? Are people? Um, I I don't know if this was or is was that ever- irrelevant because you could just fucking watch it on Hulu and there's no chance you'll get uh a-
0: look. the the budget The budget of this was going to be tiny because this was just made on um, Avids. You know, like there was no money to put into it other than some sit downs. By the way, uh, what I really liked is that when they were doing the testimonials with some people who are obviously they their later middle age now. It's obvious they were, Questlove was watching the movie with them because you actually see the yeah. light of the TV on their face as they're watching it. It's not just a dead sit down in front of somebody in a well lit space. These people are watching the footage of something they saw and so they're weeping on camera as they're talking about it because they're reliving it and Questlove is talking to them. It's incre- it's a, that is a different way to do a sit down, to do the, the side by sides for those things. It's great. Anyway, this, this is a very well made doc. It's compelling. Uh, I'm, uh, Questlove decided to come up with a very catchy way of doing it. He had probably great phot- photographic help, great editorial help, great protestorial help. This was this was a winner. I mean, if you could pull something like this, uh, you know, it's like unearthing the Hope Diamond. You know, it's just it's, you got to crack mm-hmm. the earth, find it. But once you, you know, the, what did I write here? You know, you got hours and hours of unseen footage from, from a strangely obscure yet highly relevant phenomenon this winds up it's revelatory i mean the footage is revelatory uh it sounds amazing and it recreates the feeling of being there and noah this is my thing this is bill scurry's thing the feeling of being there without actually being out of doors in a new york city summer listening to public music (laughs) none of the things i actually want to to do yeah Yeah, it's very important um so i think it's a winner you know it's it it tells a story and again you you have this thing where of course not completely forgotten about but you know in our culture now if something's older than 10 years it might as well have never happened. And it's like, well, what if it's fucking 50 years old? Honestly, it's like that. You're talking about this might as well be people talking about the plague theory. Did it come in on rats? Did it come in? Was it miasma theory of, of, of transmission? Everything old is new again because people have no idea what the history is. So why not show something like this where you get to see Stevie Wonder rip off a fucking drum solo like an ace? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, first of all, I looked it up. Uh, Summer of Soul, as of yesterday, is number 12 in the domestic box office. Its peak was number nine. Currently, number one is Space Jam, A New Legacy. There you go. That came out on Friday. A new space. Le- yeah. Number two is Black Widow. Fast and Furious 9 is four. There's a new Boss Baby movie that's five. A new Purge movie that's six. Anthony Bourdain movie is seven. Corella's eight. Why are they making these fucking
0: movies? It's the only um, way to get anyway. people back in the theaters right now is to do animated bullshit like Space Jam. So.
1: Animated bullshit. I've never seen the original
0: Space Jam. Me neither. Never. Don't worry.
1: That might be the biggest movie I've never seen. Um, Well, whatever. Michael Jordan is the most boring guy who's ever been considered an A-list celebrity in in world history. I mean, whatever. Fine. You're an awesome basketball player. You are a fucking boring guy. Uh, All right. So, uh, look, I think we are – it's no surprise to anyone who is not sticking their fingers in their ears and screaming all lives matter that American culture is in a moment of reckoning about its racial history and its – its relation to its, its general racial interaction. And I think most thinking people are making a conscious effort to re-engage with black history and uncover the less heralded moments from the past. So talk about good timing, right? From a, from a dollars and cents, I want to make a movie that people are going to fucking see and pay attention to. This was good timing, right? You have this story that is not only important or easy to sell as important. I mean, again, I I expressed some doubts about how important it was, but whatever. Uh, but but entertaining, right? Easy to sell is important, and easy, it, enjoyable to just flat-out fucking experience. Consume,
0: yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, partly why I liked that um, that Moon story and the Maxwell House thing and the, the, the Negro to Black New York Times thing is because those are stories I haven't heard before. And I think the movie, Thompson, does a good job of really framing the story to cohere to ideas that are specially talked about now they do talk about police brutality they do talk about white backlash um, we're in an era now of civil rights in terms of civil rights there's no less important than what was going on in the 60s I really think I mean maybe this is the the next hopefully the next leap forward um, the next fulcrum point point. Um, and I think it was really savvy to end with Nina Simone who gives the most confrontational performance, or at least of what we are seeing? We see in this movie the most confrontational performance. Literally singing a song about like fighting, destroying white culture, not yeah. white culture, burn, no, burning was, white buildings down. Yes, it was yeah, very, burn very white literal. buildings down. I mean, she's very confrontational, and that connected with people then, and it connects. Whether or not you agree with it, in fact, you know, it's worth.
0: In, I think, I think it's a topic the woman who wrote it's worth discussing. God damn. You know, she's got some. Yeah. Credibility yeah. Here. So,
1: you know, it's all right. Uh, you know, people also talk about celebrity activism. Right. Someone actually I don't remember who, but one of the talking heads said like, oh, entertainers talking about civil rights. It's the same criticism that you see of athletes now. You know, just play. Stop talking about politics. Just leave politics out of my sports. But you better fucking stand for the national anthem because that's not political at all. Um, so you know he 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 makes it entertaining and timely.
0: We knew we cannot let this enormous array of talent not be taped. We must record them. Noah, would i slash you have liked this as a kid?
1: uh, I mean, as a young kid, no, but in my twenties, yeah, because I was really making an effort to engage with music history, and I was reading books for a few years, I was trying to be a music journalist, so I was into music history. And I was a New Yorker in those days, and I was really embracing. You know, I had moved around a bit as a kid, and really didn't love a lot of the places I lived as a kid. So, when I moved to New York at the age of twenty-one, it was really only a few months where I said, "I fucking love New York. I'm a New Yorker." And six years now in California, people still look at me and go, "Oh, you're so New York." And well, I'm glad to live here now. I don't have a problem with that, and I kind of assume I'll move back to New York someday. Uh so I was into music history, I was into New York history, so this movie would have had a, would have had a lot to appeal to me. Uh on the other hand, you know, I I'm making more of a conscious effort now to engage with styles of music that just don't just don't, you know, affect me on a deep level and I'm a rock and roll person, what can I say? Uh but but you know, another thing why this movie's good, like I've heard everyday people by Sliding the Family Stone 8 billion times in my life. And I've never thought much of it. It still reminds me of a fucking Toyota ad.
0: I remember that. And that's true. That's exactly how I feel about the song. Yeah, too. yeah.
1: It's I can't get the fucking Toyota ad out of my head when I see it. I hate when they do that. It ruins it. But whatever, you know, Sly Stone wants, wants money, I guess. I'd probably do the same thing if I were in his shoes. Um but this performance is the first time I'm like, wow, this is a great song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's and that's the hallmark of a great live performance or a great, you know, live performance on film uh so I don't know, I think this has um yeah, I would have liked it more in my twi- in my twenties because I would have uh, i would have put invested more of my time and energy in you know
0: engaging with a story like this that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where I think I I have to acknowledge the the blinkered Caucasian suburban douchebag of me, you know. And honestly, the the well, music that, that hasn't changed. That, that hasn't, hasn't changed. changed. Yeah, this is choice. no, this oh. is a regular feature on the show. We're going to yeah, add another yeah. uh, bullet point to our our docket, Yeah, but. like
1: what? Why does Bill suck? Will be a new thing I, this I, week. What's the
0: reason this week? Why Bill
1: is a is a douchebag?
0: I don't think I could have listened to this as a kid because the first of the music, it's out of my taste range today. But at least I have this, you know, more. Um, I don't know. It, 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 I'm more curious now than I was as a kid. The tolerance for things outside of my taste range, I could experiment a little bit more. Um, you know, but I, I, let's be honest here. I think that, um, as, as you know, the, the, the uh, uh, in, integral and, and obvious race content of this movie, I think would have been either a little invisible or a little intimidating to engage with. Um, yeah, it just It just sure. wasn't. I grew up in a white world. And I really did not have very many black friends until I moved out of that white world. It took a long time, and it's not that I. I mean, i I'm, look. I'm sure on some level because of where I came from, I, I'm probably a racist somewhere. I, it's it's blind spots. As much as I try to live a good life, it's like I'm sure that there are certain things that I just can't help because of where I was reared. Um, yeah. All right. I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't need to, to flagellate yourself. No, no, I'm I mean. not trying to flagellate myself. I'm trying to give context and say I think that as a kid I just wasn't aware. Now I can understand this is absolutely imperative, but I just don't think I saw the currency of this. It seems ridiculous because it seems so obvious. But as, as a younger person, whether as a teenager in my 20s, I just you know had a very narcissistic and mirrored, blinkered hall of Versailles effect. Of seeing uh, uh, its all my the world I was in, without a larger context around it, and it yeah, really yeah. But
1: that's ninety nine percent of people on Earth,
0: dude. And and, and, th- and it, this is
1: and this is why the work of opening your mind, especially with something concerning racism, is so hard
0: for yeah. everyone. But this is the beauty of this is one of the reasons why I came to New York. Without realizing I came to New York was for that to happen. It was. A landmine to put in front of me for me to step on and to, in fact, have this transformation after years of being inside of a larger city, a larger social apparatus with people that, you you know, people you, you know, some of them you choose to live around, some people you don't, people you never expect to meet in your life and be friends with. And that's 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 the beauty of it. So in a sense, yeah, New York and becoming um, going from my mid 20s, early 20s, mid 20s and 30s changes me as a person, but definitely as a younger suburban kid, this would have this would have been just too w- weird, too exotic, too, too much like somebody else's thing. Like I would have felt like, you yeah, know what? Yeah, I don't know yeah. who this is for, but- it, That's I, not for me. Yeah, it's, it's not. not for me. I don't know. That's a simple way of putting it. And as far as I could see, it was just black people. This was the first time I'd ever seen so many of us.
1: It was incredible. Is the success of this film, the existence of this film, is this in any way a sign of the apocalypse?
0: No, I think this movie itself is a great restorative, and, you know, it it occurs to me that the last few things that we've watched that have streaming origins, whether it was your Bridgertons or your um, sex slash lives and and, and shows of this nature, there's some...
1: By the way, Sex Life was not a good show, but I keep talking about it. I keep thinking about
0: it. It's got Boobies and Wangs in it, you know? It's a big deal. And
1: man, yeah, it's and I finally watched the final episode and I wanted to throw my laptop out the window. So <laughs> I will not be watching season
0: 2. But there's so much there's so much stuff, you know. I don't I don't really watch episodic all that much. Um, I really took all my chips on the felt and pushed them towards the movies. I watch a lot of features. Um, and, and the thing is, it's like, just because the episodic stuff is partially buzzy things that in the are in the world and they're just like, they, my attention is demanded because it's what people are talking about. It's a lingua franca or it's because we're talking about it for the show. And it's like, I, you know, you, you need to go through a hundred Bridgertons to get to one of this, you know, and this, granted, this is a feature, but it was still Hulu uh, driven. I guess Hulu was the exhibitor and then gone to Disney. So, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is, um. You know, this gives a one-time v- validity, a, a worthfulness to these streamings. If this is what they can make, then uh, all of the bullshit shows that we have to watch, that the cheesy, garbagey bullshit is worth it. If this is the gem you're going to get every now and then, because this um, almost seems like, um, the, you know, you, you pay the penance. With all that bullshit right. to get to something good like this, but, but no, that's but that's all art. It's
1: probably all been that way. It is. Mean, it is. People are probably saying that about cave paintings. Ninety-nine percent <laughs> of cave paintings are shit. It's worth it to get to the the beautiful
0: ibexes made with you Look know at that that asshole blow, who, blown technique. Right, yeah. that asshole who puts the red ink in his mouth and shoots it on his yeah. hand out of his mouth. It's like those hands. No, are, I, those, 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 yeah, those I are shit compared to the, the later genius. period hands.
1: The guy who invented the the paint blowing technique in cave paintings, I think that guy was like the fucking Picasso. Of 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 cavemen, I'm saying the other shit. I bet there's all sorts of cave paintings that like no one has discovered. Well, that he said, well, is that
0: one of those fucking rhinos? Because it looks nothing like it. The guy probably said right. that too. It's totally yeah, all the figurative.
1: rhinos in the North American continent. my
0: Yeah. Friend. Um, um, so no, I mean, I uh, uh, you know, I could say that the the real apocalypse here is the erasure. You know, which to quote to quote uh, himself, but I mean that is. Um, is that any business to, to, to different than usual? Is that, is that not business as usual in America? Right. You know? and,
1: and, and we're not talking about the erasure. We're talking about... Well, the, the opposite of the erasure, the the restoration,
0: the no, I'm saying but know, the fact that this footage sat in uh, was untouched and was not a phenomenon, you know, this thing could have been buzzy for years and years and years as its own watt stacks or something like that. But we're only talking about it in 2021 with a very limited thing. But I mean, that's by the way, you know, what else that you know, what got me really depressed is thinking about, again, Questlove was using all this archival footage and you're listening to the trials and tribulations of the 60s. And, and like you say, is that are we in a pivot point now or a fulcrum where we go forward? But it's like, imagine. If you got, the, got into the DeLorean and you went back to 1968, you said, hey, I got news for you guys. It's going to be bullshit all the way through. We think that this is a fulcrum point, but it's like it's just going to go underground and wait till, mm. wait till you hear what's coming because you're not going to be happy uh, how the status quo there is are, itself. But
1: let's let's reframe it. Let's reframe it. There was an African-American president of the United States. Yes, There's currently an African-American vice president. Uh, there are, not enough, but there are African-Americans running... Top corporations. Um, I mean, let's just talk about black civil rights. You want to talk about – do you think gay people in the 60s imagine they could legally get married? I mean, I've heard uh, story after story about gay people who never – they weren't fighting for that because it was like – it was too absurd to even imagine. I hear you. Yes. Fucking racists suck right now and they are destroying this country. I'm not going to debate that. But there is a way to frame things that progress has been made. Okay. this is white splaining, but that's what I believe. Anyway,
0: so what about you and the apocalypse here?
1: Yeah, I don't see how. It's a well made documentary, entertaining, well made documentary about uh, important topics. So, and sla- no, absolutely not. No, no, no.
0: Tell me where can you find any kind of like toehold of jealousy in any of this
1: uh well I'd like to have gone to this festival I mean even though none of these bands are you know if I had the taste then that I have now no you said that you, you would you exact... would have
0: gone to like uh, Coachella you know where I mean granted that's only slightly more I would in have go- taste. But,
1: but this is what I'm saying right well Coachella's way more of my taste no I would have gone for the experience yeah yeah, yeah especially yeah. the New York thing I uh, there's some women you know they they I don't want to say dug up, but they found these people in their 60s who went as teenagers or whatever, and they're delighted and to see the footage again. And some girl says, Oh, me and my friends, it was just 10 blocks away from our apartment, and we just walk there. And I can imagine a very, very pleasant Sunday getting on the fuck, you know, when I lived in the upper I lived in Chelsea for eight years and then around Columbia, just getting on the subway, the one train up to Harlem, and then you know, walking 20 minutes to East Harlem. To go to Marcus Garvey Park or Mount Morris Park, as it was called at the time, how fun! I mean, was this free? I mean, they they didn't indicate you had to pay it to get in. No, I mean there's I no I ga- there's no
0: gate unless they put up. Yeah, storm there was
1: no fencing. right? There were people sitting in trees watching it. Yeah, no, I think it so was just walking. I, I, I think even though I wouldn't, you know, pay a ton of money, even Stevie Wonder, at the time, I'm not sure I paid a ton of money to go to a Stevie Wonder concert. Definitely would have had a good time seeing Stevie. But like the experience, I think I'd love to have gone. Um, and especially now where I miss live music. You know, live music is an experience. Even if it's a band I don't love, if the band's at all good, I have a great time. And, and there's so many bands I grew to love just because I saw them in concert. You know, I mean, the band, my, we're getting off topic here, but my favorite current band is this band called White Reaper from Kentucky. And I literally had never heard of them until I went to see Spoon and they opened for Spoon. Four years ago, three years ago or whatever. And now, like, they're one of my favorite bands. And that's – there's something really magical when you discover a band through their live work. Um, and also, I think about when I was young and when I was trying to be a music journalist in the 90s. And that was sort of, you know, a new renaissance for festivals, you know, pre-Coachella. But it was Lollapalooza and the Warped Tour and the Horde Tour and the Lil Fair and all that. Oz And yeah. all that, right. And, man, do I have regrets now about not going to enough of those. You know, I went to the Warp Tour once. I went to the Horror Tour once. Uh, I went to Little Steven's Underground Garage Festival, which was one and done. They didn't run it very well. That thing was awesome. Um, but, you know, I would have loved to have gone to all those fucking things. I never went to Lollapalooza. And... um you know, I, I'm i jealous of that. I'm also obviously jealous of Amir Thompson. He seems to have got it made. You know, the guy's a genius. He gets to hang out with all his idols and be one of his idols. And he
0: works hard, man. He came up through the trenches and did everything the yeah, hard way. Yeah,
1: And then, yeah, jealousy. There is a touch of sour grapes in... I don't know if he did it the hard way. He was talented and he played music starting when he was 12. You know, I mean, was it any harder for him than any other person working hard at a job? He just happened to be really talented at something where people pay a shit ton of attention to you. Mm-hmm. The Wallflowers,
0: <clears throat> Jacob Dylan. <Dillon. clears throat> Sorry, what'd you say?
1: Yeah, but he's more talented than Jacob
0: Dylan. Jacob Dylan got an album just because his dad.
1: Yeah, but plenty of people do. My point is while, yeah, Amir Thompson got an album because of his talent. I'd rather be him. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you bring up Jacob Dylan.
0: Some people, just, some, topic? some people just had – they had a, a little bit of renown just shoveled after so whether they wanted it or right. not.
1: So you're saying Thompson got his success the hard way. My point is I don't know about it enough about his career to know that. I know he was successful at a very young age, right? Like he was getting that Q&A in Rolling Stone when he was like 24 or something, right? So – I'm not sure he worked any harder than any other musician. It might just be a combination of he's better than most musicians. He's clearly smarter than most people. And, you know, no matter how good you are, if you make it as a musician, you got lucky, my friend. You got fucking lucky. The Beatles got lucky. Everyone whose success got lucky. Talent is not enough in show business.
0: Like Tom but Petty saying, you got lucky, babe. Take,
1: yeah, take it from me. I'm the most talented guy in show business, and, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not on TV, so... Q E D, my friend. Uh, um and then the sour grapes thing, yeah, just to get at it. Yeah, 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 I yeah. gotta be that way. I find myself wondering, oh, maybe this fest wasn't that big a deal. Maybe it wasn't completely forgotten. Why are they lying? There's probably some other black festival that was even better that people talk about even less. Or, you know, there are plenty of white vessels that people forgot. So I have that tinge of sour grapes, but it's just because I wish someone was making a fucking documentary about me. So that's, that's, you know, feel free to throw that opinion in the trash. I don't, I, I wouldn't blame you.
0: Well, I, I am jealous of his, uh, what do you call it? A po- His polymathy? His poly, Quest loves, uh, po-
1: poly, polyma- Johnny, poly, polymath, polymathism. Johnny, Johnny, polymathis.
0: Johnny, Polymathis. <laughs> I know. You know, his, his, po- Chances yeah, are we the, got that right. What's you know? the
1: word? Chances. <laughs> what's the word for being a polymath? Polymathism?
0: I think it's poly, po- polymathy. Polymathy would be the term.
1: Polymathy. Let me, I'm going to yeah. Google polymath. Anyway. To I'm, the internet. I am polymathy. I am a jealous po- a of this Polymath guy. is an individual. No, I'm not going to let you finish this. You can let me finish. Um, the first use of the word po- polymathy and its title was published in 1603 by a. Oh, I thought this was going to be Netherlands. No, it's Hamburg.
0: I wrote that myself. I put that in that yes. page so you'd find it, just to buttress this argument right, right now. Right. Yeah. So pu- pu- you're like you're like uh,
1: the guy in Lupin. He builds Wikipedia pages to scam right. people. So uh, yeah, all he's, right, he's you yeah.
0: know, the Questlove has this. First of all, I, again, I don't like the roots necessarily. I mean, I know this who this guy is as a cultural guy because I've seen him in plenty of pop pop culty things. Uh, more as a talking head than any kind of music he's ever done. But that's that's besides the point. This guy got a. Gift, you know, Gift fell right out of the sky into his lap. I mean, the, the producer, what is it? Uh, yeah. F- Fievelint said, oh, you Fival- know what?
1: Fi- Fival goes west. Fievelint
0: goes west. He's, yeah. Questlove yeah. is the guy. Like, Questlove, ha- he th- like, he's the number one guy I'd want to do this. And it's like, Questlove was ready for the gig. Signed up for it, bust his ass to make this, and, you know, did it the right way. Um, and the fact is that yet this is a yet another thing that, that Questlove could do at a really high level. You know, that, yeah. that's, that's kind of insane. You always yeah. get, if yes. this guy turned out to be a chess grandmaster, which I don't want yeah, to be a chess grandmaster, yes. I'd still be jealous that yes. he somehow does these things yeah. great. Yes,
1: I can't make a fucking omelet, but Questlove can, can be, you know, do an A-plus job at everything,
0: so. <laughs> There's bits it's of great. shell in your omelets, I know, because I've had one. Uh, it's been known
1: to happen, my
0: friend. All right, anyway, let's go for the Filonian scale. Tell me about where this thing ranks. Yeah,
1: the, 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 uh, Falapian, the, the, the no t- fat.
0: The Tilapia the no- scale? Yeah. No, I got it a uh, the No
1: Fapian the No Fapian scale. scale. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. I remember when I learned the term No Fap. Yeah. Um, so I po- So you know, this is where we compare it to other topics and how it relates to an X Y Z scale. So, uh, forgive me for instantly comparing it to another quote unquote black topic, but I thought of uh, Lovecraft Country. Uh, which I thought was an excellent show. And, wow, they're not doing another season. No, it was too done. expensive
0: and not, busy, not buzzy enough, apparently, yeah.
1: Really? I thought it got a lot of buzz, and, man, it, I, although I can understand why it's expensive. That's too bad. But uh, I compare it to Lovecraft's, Lovecraft Country. Not Yes, not just because it's a black thing, but I feel like it's applying one art for it's It's taking a civil rights African-American story and applying it In some ways, not a completely different art form because music has always been, you know, at least viewed to be central to the African-American story. And sci-fi has not been viewed that way. And that was largely innovation of Lovecraft Country. But, um, you know, I I do find it to be an interesting hybrid. And one of those hybridian elements is the story of black America in the past. When things were different.
0: So oh, interesting. Okay, I love- can see we go with yeah. this. Yeah, sure. and then,
1: and I was also reminded, it's off topic, but um, there's a song, really, a, a spoken poetry piece that is used in Lovecraft Country that I've since become very fascinated with. You know, "Whitey on the Moon" by Gil Scott Heron. I heard of it. Yeah, I discovered it in Lovecraft Country. It was used in Lovecraft Country, yeah. and he's 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 reading this poem, probably around the time of the moon landing. He's like, uh. A, uh, a rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. He's like, I live in a fucking shithole. Rats are biting my family. I'm living in abject pottery. No hot water, no toilet, no lights, but Whitey's on the moon. Comparing it to, yeah, so white people can spend all this money to go to the moon. And what's the point? And they explicitly call out that attitude in this documentary. As, as I said earlier, one of my favorite parts. So it reminded me of that, the idea of looking at history from an oft-neglected black perspective while giving you entertainment, whether it's an awesome sci-fi story about monsters and ghosts, or you know, just concert footage of people fucking rock, you know, down, rocking out, yeah, booking down, souling out, gospeling out, souling out, how, how, how not selling out, but souling out, souling out with your uh, Bible out. I don't know. As great as some of these people were, a lot of Stevie Wonder sold
0: out in the '80s, didn't he? Fucking, I just called to say I love you. Sure, right. That's fine. But also, Stevie, do you remember Stevie Wonder? Sang the song at Michael Jackson's funeral he sang I, um, I, I, I never thought you would leave in September I think that's the name yeah. of it is. and it's like He's- well, that's insane first of all it was in September I think and it was like that is a crazy button to put on the whole thing and it's like wow what a weird circus the Michael Jackson thing was And and it's like when he died who could put some grace to it but Stevie Wonder brought it back down to earth and said, "This, you know, this is why did. we're here for this human being." And he just sang the most beautiful song, the most beautiful choice, in the most beautiful way. You know, he just, yeah,
1: yeah. And Stevie put a lot of his effort to civil rights. I mean, he did, you know, the Happy Birthday song about MLK. Which, by the way, did you know this? A lot of African Americans don't sing Happy Birthday; they sing Stevie Wonder's Happy Birthday.
0: No, like, there's no reason. I, f- there's no reason I would know that to be honest. A
1: friend, a, a woman I used to work with, who a uh, friend of mine, African American. Told me that she said when we have a birthday party we don't sing Happy Birthday we sing Happy Birthday to which I thought was sweet and also Stevie even that that's what friends are for song in the 80s which you know makes me want to puncture my eardrums yeah with Dionne Warwick and Elton John like it's a shitty song but it raised money for AIDS. Yeah. research so yeah, sure it fine enjoy your fucking shitty it didn't song, sound so.
0: any worse than uh, rod stewart's um uh, uh infatuation infatuation yeah right yeah
1: yeah yeah i'll take i'll take sell out stevie over sell out rod stewart how about that <laughs> uh although rod stewart i'm just i'm rediscovering some rod stewart in the 60s and he you know shit back then, you got to go back so. a long time
0: yeah oh, okay yeah. that's no i think that's a pretty uh reasonable place to put it you know i i will definitely rock it at to the top because i enjoyed the hell out of it and again this is the nice thing it's not an open-ended arrangement where it, you know it's an, a streaming series like black mirror where i can miss something or key and peel have to go back into the annals and find or i really like Jesus and marrow but that's ongoing and so it's like you know how much so much of the salad bar so i mean just for the fact that this is two hours of just everything about it, a knockout. I have to, you know, really, definitely put it at the top. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a really catchy movie. It's one and done. It's relevant. It's important. And yes, like you said, it's in a dialogue with um, today. I mean. Sometimes movies made from a certain vantage point won't age very well. It's hard to tell if this will or will not because it is in such a conversation with exactly what's going on between 2015, 2016, and today. You know, whether it, it doesn't mention Trayvon Martin, it doesn't mention Ferguson, it doesn't mention. Uh, you know, the Tiki Torches or Robert E. Lee statues. But, I mean, it is talking about those things directly without talking about them. But I think the nice thing is that superficially there's just enough in here that this is evergreen. There's no way this won't c- just continue to be relevant on a, on, a, on, a, on a surface level. You know what I mean?
1: Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Good. So so this is this is in the realm of the, the top quadrile. It's definitely in the top quatrile. Yes. Maybe the top quintile. Quartile. Could it be? Could it be in the top sextile? Is that possible?
0: Uh, I just got some sextile for my bathroom. I'll tell you how it works. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. If you would like, sh- like to find, find past episodes of our, t- of our TV show here uh, that originally showed on WNEW in the 1980s, the No One Bill Hour. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, look on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play and Stitcher. Tweet to us at Noah Bill Show. Write to us. no Bill don't get it at gmail.com. Give us a review on the aggregators. It's great. Uh, I'm on Twitter at William Scurry on YouTube, youtube.com slash AM Caesar. And now him will stuff. He'll talk. <laughs> I'm all about the big quiz thing. Big dot
1: com. Uh, the finest in corporate and private trivia events nationwide. Really everywhere, because uh, while we have returned to in-person events, very exciting, very happy about that. Uh, virtual isn't going anywhere. In fact, we're offering hybrid events. That's that's our new thing. Uh, you know, some people in person, some people virtual. We can make it seamless. Uh, go to bigquizthing.com. learn more. And I also want to plug, uh, I just recorded yesterday. It should be released within the next week. I'm going to be a guest on a, a really great podcast called Citizen Kane Minute. I'm sure you're all aware of the, you know, minute-by-minute podcasts. And a guy named Rob Kelly might be my favorite podcaster in the world, uh, hosts the show. He's looking at Citizen Kane, the greatest film of all time, quote-unquote, and uh, five minutes at a time. And and I'm the guest in this new episode. I look at minutes 55 through 60 when Kane meets Susan Alexander. Uh, And I also give my theory about why you cannot say Citizen Kane is the greatest film of all time. I have an N.A. on that question. I also reveal how, how Citizen Kane was spoiled for me before I saw it. And uh, Rob thought, uh, was very delighted by that cultural reference. So a little preview. But it was a lot of fun, and I'm really proud to do it. So uh, Citizen Kane Minute, uh, it's part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Just Google Citizen Kane. I can't Minute. wait to listen
0: to it. That's going to be great.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I, I've done a couple podcasts with this guy, and I always have a blast. So uh, yeah, if you like Citizen Kane, check it out. And if you don't like Citizen Kane, go watch Citizen Kane Fucking really a good thing. Excellent. Uh, Thank you. So, yeah, we did it
0: again. So, until next week's exciting action packed episode, we We don't don't get it. it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2021.